Genesis 50, 15 through 21. Real, realizing that there was that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, "What if Joseph still bears the grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him?" So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instructions before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him, and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. I am a place of God. Even though you intend, even though you intended not to harm me, God invented it for good. In order to preserve a numerous of people, as he is doing today, so you have so have no fear. I myself will provide you and your little ones. In this way, we reassure you, reassured them, speaking kindly of them. The, the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, girl. Beautiful. Beautifully done. Thank you for sharing with us this morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Okay. I'm glad it's a little cooler out today. I was kind of over summer a long time ago, like June 1st. I was done. I was done with summer. So I'm glad fall is getting here. Uh, We're at the end of our grief grief series, Where is God When It Hurts? Um, I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope that over the past two weeks you've found some some hope, some encouragement for whatever it is you may uh, be going through, struggling with, whatever. Um, We're wrapping it up this morning. Um, We're talking specifically today about how to deal uh, with, how to face uh, disappointment in our lives. Those times when when doors of opportunity uh, just seem to close or maybe even just slam shut right in our faces, those things that happen to us that cause us to say, you know what, it just was not supposed to be this way. This was not the plan. This is not how it was supposed to be. Uh, those times in our lives when, when our plans and our dreams um, seem to be just like put on hold indefinitely or, or may even seem to be or are just shattered completely. Um, and our scripture reference this morning is the story of Joseph, a man who experienced disappointment, uh, one disappointment after another, one potentially dream-shattering experience after another, yet who came out on the other side stronger and more mature than he was before those circumstances happened to him. Um, And some questions that I hope the sermon will address this morning for us are these. How can we face shattered dreams and broken plans without becoming completely shattered and broken ourselves? How can we journey through disappointment and disillusionment 
and still come out on the other side whole and actually even stronger than we were before we went through that experience. So those, those are the things that I hope that we'll be um, finding some encouragement and some hope in this morning. So before we start, why don't we pray together one more time, ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a difficult topic. Um, it's not the fun one. And Lord, uh, we just pray for your help this morning, your guidance, um, your precious spirit to speak to our hearts, to lift us up and give us the hope and the encouragement and the strength we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Joseph, who was he? Um, his full story is found in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 through 50. Okay, so we're, we're, we're just going to wrap it up in a brief summary this morning, but I encourage you to read his full story because it really is very good and there's just so much good stuff in there. So take some time out, read his story. Uh, but the super short version is this. His father was Jacob, otherwise known as Israel. Okay, he was one of 12 sons. Actually, he was the 11th of 12 sons. And his older brothers all hated him. Because Jacob, their father, favored Joseph over them. I mean, he doted on Joseph. It was really kind of ridiculous. And as a result of all of this, Joseph was a little bit spoiled himself. And he would do things like give bad reports about his brothers to his father, which would be really annoying. Okay, besides the fact that he's just doted on and favored, then he's tattling on them to, to their dad. So their relationship uh, between Joseph and his brothers, it was just really bad, so bad that the scripture tells us that his brothers couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Okay, just a bad situation. Well, things got even worse between them when Joseph was about 17 years old because at that point he had two very distinct dreams in which his brothers were all bowing down to him. Now, in this time, these dreams, especially coming in twos like that, were seen as messages from God, and coming in twos meant they will be fulfilled. This will happen. That was an understanding at that time. So Joseph didn't keep those dreams to himself. No, he went and he told his brothers these dreams. Now, and I'm imagining a spoiled uh, silver spoon in his mouth 17-year-old relaying these dreams in a pretty cocky, arrogant manner, okay? Brothers didn't appreciate it. They hated him even more because of what he had told them. Okay, just downright arrogant of him to do that. Well, tension continues to rise when one day Jacob sends Joseph out to the fields to check on his brothers. Hated him so much at this point that when they saw him coming, he's got that beautiful robe on that his dad had given him, the coat of many colors. They see him coming and they're like, we're killing him. They start making a plan to kill him. Fortunately for Joseph, his brother Reuben talks them out of killing him. Um, and so instead, they just sold him into slavery. You know, right? Just, just the smaller thing. Um, which, for the brothers, was a much better plan because they could simultaneously be rid of their annoying little brother. They could enrich themselves. And then they could disprove his boastful dreams all in one fell swoop. It was like a brilliant plan. So at 17 years old, Joseph, a young man who had began, been given a, a pretty awesome vision for how his life was going to turn out, was taken to Egypt and sold as a slave. Now our narrative doesn't tell us anything about what Joseph may have been thinking or feeling at this point, but I would have to guess that he was pretty scared 
maybe feeling a mixture of emotions like we talked about last Sunday from anger to disgust and despair to sadness over what had happened. I mean, he was probably a little bit disillusioned at this point about how something like this could have happened to him. I mean, think of it, at this point, he had had everything going for him. He, he had that silver spoon in his mouth, and then suddenly he is sold into slavery. I would imagine he was having a pretty hard time seeing how there was going to be any possibility of his dreams being fulfilled. I mean, being a slave in a foreign country is pretty far from someone whose brothers are bowing down to him. Okay, but then our narrative gives us a little glimmer of hope. Chapter 39 of Genesis, verses 1 through 6, says, Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now this is our glimpse of hope. In spite of all the terrible things that have happened to Joseph up to this point, being betrayed by his brothers, taken from his home, sold as a slave in Egypt, the Lord was with Joseph. And not only was the Lord with Joseph, he was working out his purpose for Joseph through and in spite of the difficult circumstances he faced. And he was blessing him in the midst of it. He was working through and in spite of the difficult situation and blessing Joseph in the midst of it. Okay, so things are going pretty okay for Joseph. While it's not ideal to be sold into slavery, okay, we'll just own that. I mean, it could be worse, right? Now he's in this rich guy's house and he's in charge of everything. So technically not free, but has all this authority in this guy's house. Until, until uh, Potiphar's wife got really mad at Joseph because he did not respond to her adulterous advances towards him. She got so mad, in fact, that she told her husband, Potiphar, that Joseph had attacked her. So you can imagine, Potiphar was really angry. He was just enraged and immediately had Joseph thrown into prison. So things have gone from bad to worse for Joseph. This is another disappointing and potentially dream-shattering turn of events for him. But look, even through this difficulty, this is what we're told in verse 21 of chapter 39. The Lord was what? With Joseph. And listen to this. Showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Okay, so here Joseph is, spoiled rich kid, silver spoon in his mouth, betrayed by brothers, sold into slavery, but ends up in the home of a rich guy over everything, then falsely accused and thrown into prison. Okay, these, these are not really great things. Things are gone from bad to worse from him. But once again, where are we told God is? He's right there in the midst of the terrible situation with him. He is holding Joseph up. He is keeping him strong. He is showing him steadfast love. In other words, there wasn't a day that went by 
that God wasn't with Joseph, pouring his love over him. And at the same time, God was working good in Joseph's life through and in spite of a difficult situation. Now, look, Joseph was in that dungeon for years. And, and you know, there was a, a point where Joseph thought, you know, maybe there was going to be this little turn of events that would happen. Um, and someone would speak a good word for him and maybe he would get out of this dungeon. But you know what? That just turned out to be another disappointment for him. And he spent two more years after that in prison, in that dungeon. And in total, Joseph spent 13 years either in prison or as a slave in Egypt. Until finally one day, Pharaoh had a couple of bad dreams. And Joseph, who we fast forwarded through this part, but he had been given the gift of interpreting dreams. So Pharaoh hears about him, calls Joseph before him, tells him his dreams. Joseph listens and interprets them and says, look, your dreams mean we're about to have seven good years of a really plentiful harvest, followed by seven really bad years of extreme famine. So then he gives him a plan. Here's what I suggest you do. During those seven good years, you store up as much food as you possibly can. So during the seven years, everyone doesn't starve to death. So Pharaoh loves it. He sees that God's presence and his favor is on Joseph, and he puts him over everything. Second highest, most powerful guy in Egypt. Okay, so he goes from a dungeon dweller all the way up to the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. And so Joseph oversees this whole, this whole process of storing up the food. And when the famine struck, the whole world, the scripture says, came to get grain from Joseph because Egypt was the only place that the food could be found. So spoiled rich kid, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, gets a pretty sweet gig, then is falsely accused, thrown into a dungeon, ultimately in slavery or imprisonment for 13 years, when all of a sudden he's promoted to the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Now look, whenever we see someone rise up from the ashes like that, or from the dungeon in Joseph's case, and we recognize that God's at work in that, a common question that pops into people's minds is this. Did God cause those bad things to happen so that he could bring the good thing from it? Did God cause all that bad stuff to happen to Joseph just so he could bring that good thing from it? Now that's a really good question because it can seem like that at times, can it? I mean, if I believe that God is in control of everything, isn't this the logical conclusion to make? Well, here's the thing about saying that, that God caused something bad so that his plans could be accomplished or that he could bring something good out of it. It takes you to a really bad place theologically. Sounds good at first, really close to sounding right at first, but if you carry it all the way out, just follow that all the way out to the end, where does that take you? If God causes bad, evil things to happen, if he brings tragedy and brokenness into my life just so he can bring something good or he can do something good, what does that say about God? How can I trust a God 
who would cause terrible things to happen. What does that say about his character? How can he be a God of love if that is true? You see the problem? See, God doesn't work that way. God is a God of holy character, of pure integrity. He is a God of love. So for instance, in Joseph's case, God did not cause the bad things to happen to him. The bad things that happened to Joseph were a result of anger, hatred, jealousy, arrogance, boasting, lust, revenge, and on and on. God is not the author of those things. So it's not a so that formula. God did not cause something bad so that he could bring forth something good. God brought forth something good. In fact, had his ultimate purpose fulfilled through and in spite of the bad, the difficult the challenging things that were happening in Joseph's life. God was in control through it all, even though Joseph's brothers, Potiphar's wife, and ultimately the devil himself, who is the author of evil, thought they were in control. And look, look, Joseph, he's going to be reunited with his brothers later on at the end of our story. And there's some verses here that could trip us up a minute if we don't really understand what's going on. He's going to say to them that it wasn't they who sent him to Egypt, that it was God who sent him ahead of them to preserve life. So in chapter 45, for instance, he says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me, but God. Now look, that is not placing the blame or the responsibility on God for the difficulties and the bad things that happened to Joseph. Joseph is not saying that God caused the bad to happen to him. But listen, it is an acknowledgement of who was actually in control the whole time. Joseph is acknowledging that God was in control and that he was working out his purposes through and in spite of the difficulties, the challenges, and the disappointments in his life. So once more from our passage this morning that Sarah Grace read, chapter 50, verse 20, he's speaking to his brothers and he says, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. Again, Joseph is acknowledging that God was working through and in spite of all those difficulties, through and in spite of what his brothers intended for harm to bring about his good purposes. And look, his good purposes, not just for Joseph's life, but ultimately for his brothers' lives, for their entire family of 70 who would end up in Egypt, who would become the nation of Israel. So God is saving a nation here, who ultimately through that nation comes the Christ, the Messiah, the one who will save the whole world. Do you see? God's purposes are being carried out through and in spite of difficulty and challenge, but God is not the author of trauma and evil and terrible things, but he is a God in the midst of those things. Here's another thing. God will use what was intended 
as a weapon to break us and crush us, as a tool to strengthen us and mature us. He will spin that right on around. What was intended for our harm, he will use it for our good. You can see that in Joseph's life. At this point, Joseph is very far from the spoiled, bratty, 17-year-old kid that his brothers once knew. He is a strong, mature leader who trusts God with every aspect of his life. The other big question that we tend to ask when we're hurting or we're going through something very difficult is actually the title that we chose for this whole series, Where is God? Where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God in the disappointment? Where is God in the shattered dreams? Well, he's right there with you. He's right there with you. Just as we saw with Joseph, God is in your pain. He is in your difficult circumstance. He is in your disappointment with you. Do not devalue the power of that. That is powerful. If it were not for God with us, How could we even stand on some days? How could we put one foot in front of the other? You know what I'm talking about. God with us. Now these are crucial perspectives for us to hold on to when we face disappointment and difficulties because some huge lies that are easy to believe when you're hurt, when you're sad, or when you can't see any way that your life is going to turn out positively, or God caused this and God is not with me. Those are lies straight from the devil himself. He wants you to believe that God either caused your pain or he has left you in the middle of it. And believing either of these things will lead us to some really dark places that we don't want to go. So believe the truth this morning. Your God is with you. He will never leave you. He is for you. His intentions toward you are good. Trust that he is working in your life, even if you can't perceive it. Philip Yancey, I love this quote from him, said, Faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Sometimes it's just looking back looking backwards over your life and going, oh my gosh, I think he was faithful. I think he was there. And you know what? If you can't look back in your own life, look back in Joseph's life and trust that the same God that was faithful to him is the same God who will be faithful to you, who is faithful to you. The same God that worked in his life is the same God that is working in your life. Okay, last point I want to make. So ultimately, Joseph's reunited with his brothers after about, it's about 22 years that they've been apart. But it's not only his brothers that he's reunited with. He's reunited with his father Jacob or, or Israel as well. And, and I just want us to consider Jacob for a moment because this whole time, all 20 plus years, Joseph has been in Egypt. Jacob believed Joseph was dead. He thought He was dead, and Jacob's heart was broken over the loss of Joseph. His brothers thought they were getting rid of him and thought, finally, we can quit listening to our dad go on and on. Made it worse. Made it worse. He just pined. He was broken 
over the loss of Joseph. The son he'd hoped to put his blessing on lost to him. But there's this beautiful moment in chapter 48 where Jacob is reunited with, with Joseph. And not only with Joseph, but with Joseph's two sons as well. So this is in chapter 48, verses 8 through 11. When Israel, that's Jacob, saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, and he could not see well. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I did not expect to see your face and hear God has let me see your children also. Y'all, it didn't get any better than that. I never thought I would see a day like this. I never expected. That is powerful. Look, God can provide for us in ways we will never expect. He has outcomes in mind that we can't even imagine. So don't give up. He's got strength you can't fathom. He's got peace that passes all understanding. And he works through and in spite of your most painful experiences and your deepest disappointments to create something beautiful you could never expect, to bring a healing that you could never imagine. Only God can do something like that. Last thing. The most powerful testimony a person can have is not the testimony of a pain-free life. That would be the worst movie ever, to go see a movie about someone that nothing bad ever happens to them. How boring would that be? The best testimony is not the testimony of a pain-free life, but it's the testimony of God's faithful presence and comfort during our most painful disappointments, the testimony of a faithful God working through and in spite of our pain to create beauty out of brokenness, putting each of those pieces together in a way that we never would have expected. Joseph had quite the journey of disappointment and disillusionment, but through it all, God was not only with him, but he was in control. There was not one thing that happened to Joseph where God was ever at a loss for how to help or how to comfort or how to redeem. And the same is true for us. Trust your God. Hold on tight to him. And he will bring you unexpected healing and and blessing and give you a powerful testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, you are so much better than we could ever imagine. You are so good. And you are so holy. And Lord, we will just admit to you this morning that we do not always understand. We don't get it. And life seems at times to just fall down on our heads and crush us, Lord. Lord, we believe the lies that maybe somehow you're responsible or that you've left us, Lord. You've abandoned us in our pain. But Lord, just remind us today that nothing could be farther from the truth. That you are a God of goodness, a God of love, a God of faithfulness, a God of truth. And that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That your intentions towards us are good and holy. So Lord, remind us of that when we're struggling. To turn our eyes to you. To look to you and to believe that you have always been faithful. You've never failed, Lord. You will not start now. Lord, give us a good testimony of how you've never left us, not once. We ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.